0: I'm going to speak for a while, just on on the passage that we've just read, probably for sort of 15 or 20 minutes, because I want—I think it's important to put it in the context of the talks that have gone before and the ones that will come after. Because, as as Dave has said, this is a series about the fruits of the spirit, and tonight we're looking at patience, learning to wait. But at the end of um, the talk, we're going to—I've with the help of my long-suffering and very patient husband, have put together a series of images and slides with some music, images of the glass that that I make, because that's what I do uh, in my other life. I'm a glassmaker, and I use glass and have done for years to express dreams and visions, and also um, scripture has been an inspiration for that glass. So I think um, tonight it's probably better than anything I could say, I hope, in communicating the points that I want to get across. So bear with me while I do a bit of talking, but there are lovely things coming, hopefully. (laughs) So as I say, this is the fourth talk in the series, and I realise that the title may not thrill you. Patience, learning to wait. Other translations of the word patience give us forbearance and long-suffering, which is probably even less thrilling than patience, really. Uh, And in patience, the word can evoke... um, It can sound a little bit bland, can't you, in the sense of patience is a virtue. It sounds quite passive. But I was thinking about this. I was thinking, you know, patience isn't passive at all. Patience is actually quite powerful and it's quite profound. Uh, And the way in which we respond to challenges, particularly, and I'm talking here about particularly ongoing, long-standing, difficult and heartbreaking challenges, the way in which we respond to them will set the tone of our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. And it's in that refining fire, it's in that place of refinement in, in tough times and in heartbreaking times when we dig really, really deep into ourselves but more importantly we dig deep into God and we refine and renew and restore and deepen our relationship with him and patience and waiting just those phrases seem to be at odds with the spirit of the age in which we live because this age is a, is clamor it's full of clamor and noise and it's full of distraction and it's full of instant gratification and we have information at our fingertips but that information doesn't give us the answers. So just, just the notion of patience and of waiting is quite countercultural I think. And this series is about the fruits of the Spirit and I suppose we take for granted in some of our Christian jargon everybody knows what, what the fruits of the Spirit are but it's worth saying that what are they? They are qualities in us that if we are full of the Holy Spirit and if we're walking with God then we should be demonstrating the fruits of the Spirit and fruit can only grow when it's watered and nourished and that means abiding in Christ it means staying close to God And walking closely with him. And Jesus says in John 15 verse 1, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. And again in verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's pretty clear. That's quite, that's quite a strong, a strong uh, challenge, and it's worth reading on, although it doesn't always make comfortable reading. The passage goes on to talk about the gardener, who, of course, is God, cutting off any branch that doesn't bear fruit and pruning any branches that do bear fruit to make them more fruitful. And sometimes... I think we like to remember the bits of scripture that we like and we quote them quite often and we often overlook the verses that immediately precede or follow that verse. But here Jesus is warning us that if we don't remain in him, then we will be cut off and thrown into the fire and I find that quite chilling actually. And, you know, with fruits of the Spirit, it all sounds very lovely, but like a lot of scripture, you know, there comes a warning as well. What happens if you don't abide in me? And Joe began this series talking about love. And Abby followed, talking about joy. And they both talked, I mean, if we're talking about abiding in God and what that really means, they both spoke really movingly about their own journey and how... They have to take time aside with God in the secret place. They both use that phrase, I think, in the secret place. And that speaks of resting, it speaks of praying, it speaks of intimacy with God. And it's a place where we can be filled and nourished and watered. And Mark spoke last week about peace. He spoke very powerfully and he talked as well about the walls that we sometimes put up. Despite the fact that through Christ's death and resurrection, he has torn down every wall, we sometimes seem to be a little bit intent on going and building them back up again. And these walls are called strongholds. Strongholds are negative thought processes, and they have names like anger, resentment, jealousy, rejection, pride... And these strongholds, they may begin as a sort of defense mechanism, we think, to keep us safe. But actually they become walls that keep us locked away and they keep us separate from God and separate from one another. And we need to bring them down. And how do we do this? By abiding in God, certainly, by staying close in to God. But also, as, as he reminded us, through praise and worship. Praise and worship such powerful weapons in our armory and against which the enemy has no answer. If we can praise God in every circumstance, wherever we find ourselves, if we can call out the name of Jesus, praise him and honor him and worship him, then no obstacle will stop us in our relationship with God. And you may be thinking, what's all this got to do with patience? We're supposed to be talking about patience and learning to wait. And the point, the point I'm trying to make, I suppose, is this: whatever the situation we find ourselves in that requires us to dig deep and demonstrate forbearance and long-suffering, when we find ourselves in that situation, and we all will, We're probably, most of us, in a situation like that now, or we certainly know someone who's in a really tough situation. And the way we respond in that situation of challenge is absolutely critical. I don't consider myself to be a naturally patient person. (laughs) Um, Quite the contrary, probably. I tend to be quite quick. I'm I'm quite impulsive. I probably talk too much. My dad had a favourite saying, which was, Rachel, you've opened your words, open your mouth and words come out, which I suppose could be a compliment. I'm not really sure. And certainly like many of you, I've been praying for years and years and years for members of my family that they might know Christ and they might walk with me on this journey that I've been on for 30 years. I don't suppose there's a person sitting here who hasn't been praying for a very long time for somebody. And some of you may also know that um, Rob, my husband, who's here tonight, which is wonderful, suffers from Parkinson's disease, and we've both had to learn to accept that, and we've had to adapt to it, and we've had to adapt to a different kind of life. It's not the life that we imagined for ourselves, and that's been a process that's been going on for about eight or nine years now. That, that you know we're adapting to a different way of life, and we're not unique. We're not unique. I look out there and I see all my lovely friends, all the friends that stand with me and pray with me and know me, and people I don't know so well. And I know that you're all you are all, you're all in situations that require you to be long-suffering and to be patient and to be forbearing and to dig deep. But again, the question is, how do we respond? Will we abide in him? and draw close to him, and lean into him, and hide in the shadow of his wings? Or will we build strongholds? Maybe we think to protect ourselves, but really those strongholds will lock him out. Anger, resentment, and disappointment, they're all natural responses to heartache and challenge, and they're part of the process of coming to terms with it. But if we allow them to take root, then they will turn into bitterness. And bitterness is always corrosive. Will we continue, will we choose to continue to sacrificially, and it is a sacrifice sometimes, giving praise to God? Or will we listen to that voice that says, oh, it's just not fair. Why is this happening to me? And the passage that we read tonight reminds us of the story of Job. What a story. I love this story. So he was a man. He was righteous. He was upright. And he lost everything. He lost his children. He lost his health. He lost his wealth. And not only that, but God allowed it to happen. God allowed the devil to come against him. And if ever the question, why does God allow suffering, is justified, it's here. But Job shows us that a good man or a good woman will love God no matter what the circumstances, no matter what happens, whether blessings are given or withheld. And surely there's no clearer illustration of the two opposite responses to heartache and challenge than the two utterly contrasting responses of Job and his wife. So as if the advice of Job's so-called friends wasn't bad enough, the response of Job's wife was, Curse God and die. It's a shocking line. That's what Job's wife advised him, curse God and die. But later on in the book of Job, we get that fantastic line. I'm sure you know it. <laughs> I know that my Redeemer liveth. I know that my Redeemer liveth. There you have it. There you have it. Those two responses. The passage also talks a little bit about grumbling. So I, I can't pass over that without just a word or two about grumbling. Um, It warns us in this passage that if we grumble, we will be judged. So this is, it it might, grumbling might sound a little bit lighthearted. It might sound a bit innocuous, but I don't think it is, actually. I don't think in this context it is. Because, you know, it might be a natural response sometimes to challenge, to grumble against God. And that's only a short step from grumbling against one another. And remember those strongholds? What starts as a gentle gossip or a bit of grumbling can turn into a critical spirit. And we are a key point here in the life of All Saints Weston. We have a new rector. And over the last few months, we've seen a lot of change. And I know for many people, that has been and still is a difficult process. Change is challenging. And more than ever, we really need to be open and honest with one another about how we're feeling. And we need to demonstrate patience and grace as we wait for things to settle and discern how God's going to lead us forward. And also next Sunday, all three services, there'll be rock presentations when the rock team will be bringing, bringing you all up to date with with what's been happening, uh, with developments, and it's been a long and painstaking process, uh, and we know that, and we know it's been a long wait to hear but it's so important that we get it right because the stakes are so high. And the enemy would love to see us divided. He'd love to to see us critical and he'd love to see us grumbling because when we do those things, we're doing his job for him. And we will always have differences of opinion and we will always need good, rigorous, constructive debate. It's right and healthy that we should have all of those things, but we should be robust enough to be able to do that openly and honestly. Let's not give ground to the enemy by building walls between ourselves. Let's try and be patient and forbearing and gracious with one another. Because if we can't be like that among ourselves here, how are we going to manage when people come into the church from outside? When we when we have people coming in who are unchurched? <coughs> who are raw and hurting because we are going to have to demonstrate so much patience and so much love and so much forbearance when that happens. And one last thing I'd like to share on the subject of patience because I found it really helpful and it's a journey that I'm on now um, and it's a whole other sermon so I'm going to be very, very brief. But it's on the subject. It's about eternity. It's about eternity. If I believed that this earthly life is all that I had, then I might be getting a bit fed up about the pace of change that I'm seeing. But I am starting to grapple with what eternity might look like. And it's awesome. It lifts your eyes up off of what's in front of you. It puts it into a whole different concept when you set your heart on what eternity might look like and you lift your eyes from the present troubles. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11 says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I just think it's beautiful. I think wherever we are on the journey of suffering or patience or endurance or having to wait if we can just lift our eyes and get that eternal perspective of what God, God has for us for eternity, then this is just a short part of it. And the going does get tough down here. But he has eternity. We have eternity. And patience will look very different when viewed in the context of eternity.